Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Lord, thank you that that is the reality of your love. At the start, we thought about the fact that nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you that as we focus on you and your goodness, we find that your love follows us all the days of our lives. No matter what we've done, no matter what a mess we've made of our lives, you pursue us with your love. Thank you, Lord, even some people I know are here today because you're pursuing them, you're inviting them, you're speaking to them. And Lord, in your love, we pray now you would feed us with your word. We find life quite difficult and bewildering sometimes, and we need your word. Man, woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. So we ask that you would speak to us now through your word as Bill comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Do please sit down. And uh, it is my great delight to introduce our speaker today because it's my good friend, uh, Bill Cusack. Do you know, it's such a joy doing church stuff and leadership with friends. Not as a job, but as family and community. And Bill and Nikki are just such dear friends. And uh, the thing with Bill as well is he's a friend of God, which really gives him kind of an edge in life. And so let's open our hearts now and receive as Bill unpacks the next in this series, In Christ. What does it mean? And what are the implications of living our lives in Christ Jesus? Thanks, Pete. Hey, everybody. Good morning. How are you? Nice to see some familiar faces from a while ago. Um, Joel, that was awesome. That was so good. Thank you. You just got this amazing ability to sort of take us somewhere. Really appreciate that in you. Um, um, Let me read a passage of the Bible uh, to you. This is from 2 Corinthians 5, verses uh, 17 to 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. It's going to come up on the screen, or you can just listen. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let me just read one verse to you again. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So it's hard to believe now, looking at me, but once upon a time I was a student. That's me outside Guildford Cathedral. 
graduating, you'll notice the interesting coloured hair. That was my first and last attempt at Sun Inn. And part of my degree, I went and studied in the States. And to be straight up, there was a reason was that there was a girl that I was seeing at the time who was American. And so um, I went out and um, it became clear quite quickly that though my degree course was good, the relationship wasn't so great. And so we had this conversation on the phone. I was on the West Coast. She was in the Midwest. And um, my understanding at the end of the conversation was that the relationship was over. But I had to fly back via her airport to pick up some of the luggage that I had left with her family. So um, and in those days, you could go right up to the gate. You know, you could go right up to the gate with people and say goodbye to them at the gate. So as it, I got my luggage, we, you know, as it came to goodbye, it became clear that my understanding of the conversation we'd had on the phone was slightly different from her, her understanding of what had happened, uh, the conversation we'd had on the phone. And it got uh, quite loud. Well, she got quite loud. And I sort of just stood there and um, let her sort of, you know, that thing. <laughs> and I've never been so glad to get on an aeroplane. I don't particularly like flying, but I've never been so glad to get on an aeroplane as I was then. So I get on the aeroplane and I just, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Never have to come back here ever again. And I sort of dozed off, and I woke up, and we were landing. And I thought, wow, either I slept better than I thought I did, or that was a really short flight. Then the captain came on and said, there's a fault with the airplane. We've landed at the airport again. <laughs> so, okay. So he said, if you go to the gate, um, they'll issue you with another ticket. So I went to the gate, and... There was just an announcement, there are no more flights out tonight. So I think, well, I won't repeat exactly what I thought. <laughs> but I thought, I really got three options. The first option is that I slum it at the airport. The second option is I phone the very definitely now ex-girlfriend and ask her if I can stay with her and her family. And the third option is, this is the 1990s, so I thought maybe I could do the best impression I could of Hugh Grant being a hopeless Englishman abroad and hope that maybe someone would have sort of compassion on me. So as I ran through the options, I didn't really want to slum it at the airport. Uh, I didn't, option two was the least attractive. I definitely didn't want to phone up this girl's family, particularly as they were tree surgeons, had chainsaws and <laughs> that kind of thing. So I thought I'd do the best impression I could of Hugh Grant. So I went up to the desk, and I'm 21, 22, I'm a student, I've been traveling for 20 hours already, my hair was everywhere, I smelled awful, I looked even worse. I said, I wonder if you could possibly um, help me, I, I need a little bit of, and she said, I'm going to stop you right there, honey. Everyone heard. Let me see what I can do. So she tapped away at her computer and said, oh, one of our partner airlines has a flight leaving in 10 minutes. If you rush, um, you can get it. So she gave me the ticket. I said, thank you very much, and sort of disappeared off down to the next gate. I sort of jumped on the plane, feeling like it was literally about to leave. 
And I said, can you tell me where my seat is? And I showed the air steward my ticket, and she said, it's this way, sir. And she opened this curtain, and suddenly I am standing in first class. <laughs> That's what first class looked like in about 1993, which is, I think it was about then, 1994. But it was like walking into a throne room. I mean, I'd never seen chairs that big other than at the dentist's, and this was a lot nicer option. Um, and so literally as I stood there, the air steward gave me a glass of champagne, didn't even say, just thrust it into my hand, and said, would you like me to, to show you to your seat? So I was shown to this throne, and sat down, and, I'm, and, then, she's, and then the air steward said, here's the menu. And I, I'm, you know, I, I've never flown first class before, so I'm not used to a menu. And I turned to the person sat next to me and said, what do I do? I've never done this before. And he said, well, you pick something. <laughs> so so I, I said, um, well, there was beef bourguignon, there was something veggie, and then there was, I think it was Coco Van. So... No, it was salmon on croute, beg your pardon. So I said, can I have some salmon on croute, please? And, and, and I turned to the, the guy and, and introduced myself, and I said, this is so cool, I've never done this before. And he sort of smiled. And then I noticed that he wasn't wearing his shoes. He was wearing socks, like aeroplane socks. And this is in the 1990s where, you know, this was kind of a new thing. And I said, um, where'd you get your socks? And he said, they're, they're on your seat. So I stood up, and lo and behold, there were this pair of very fluffy, warm-looking socks. So I took my trainers off, which was a high-risk strategy at that point, <laughs> and put on these socks. And I turned to him and said, this is so cool. I've never done this before. He smiled. Then I noticed that um, he wasn't wearing a jacket. He was wearing a robe, like a, ro like a proper fluffy robe. I said, nice robe. He goes, yeah, it's in your pack. I said, pack? He said, yeah, it's under your seat. So under my seat, pulled out, and there's this box with a bow on it saying, welcome, valued customer. I opened it up, and in it was a robe. So, of course, I put it on. And uh, there was sort of, you know, air, uh, eye darkeners and all that kind of stuff and lip balm and moisturizer. No to that. And, <laughs> and I sat back down. I said, this is so cool. I've never done this before. And then, um, then the, my meal came. And as it came, I turned to him and said, this is just unbelievable. This is so cool. I've never done this before. And he smiled. Then I noticed that his chair was slightly reclined. Can't do that in cabin class. Not like that anyway. I mean, this was proper reclined, you know, like your feet up here sort of thing. So I said, um, how do you recline your chair? And he said, oh, you press these buttons. So I pressed them and sort of my head flew back and my legs flew up and he helped me. And I turned to him and said, this is so cool. I've never done this before. Then after the meal, which was nice, it wasn't, you know, none of this vacuum sealed, you know, normal stuff. This was like proper smart. 
um, I noticed what he pulled out his TV. He had a TV screen. No one had TV screens in, the, in those days. You just sat there for 11 hours thinking, read a book, listen to some music, or go to sleep. So he had a screen because we we're in first class. So I said, how do you, you, you do that thing out of the chair? Because it was in the arm of the chair. So he said, and, he, and I, I nearly broke it. So he helped me pull it out. And I've got this cinema in front of my face. And it's a huge screen. I said, this is so cool. I've never done this before. And you know, the whole time I was on that plane, I was treated like first class. Nobody said to me, why are you here? Nobody questioned my ability to pay. I was just treated first class. And I got off that aeroplane feeling like a different person. I was a first class person. And I've thought about that story, uh, that experience many times. And, you know, there's so many parallels that it's made me think about. The first thing is we're longing for home. And someone pays a ticket we can't afford to get us there. The curtains opened and we're standing in the throne room in the presence of God. He invites us to sit down and to eat with him. He exchanges our smelly, messy, in my case, very smelly, messy student clothes and clothes us with a robe, it says, of righteousness. And we don't just become a different person for the duration of the flight and a few hours afterwards. He says we become a new person forever. If we're in Christ, it says we are a new creation. Colossians 3.3 puts it a slightly different way. He says, For you died, but your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If you follow Jesus, you are in Christ. So what that means is when he looks at you, when he looks at me, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. He sees the version of us that we long to be. He sees the version of us that we dream we might be on the best day with the sun in our face and the wind behind us. That is the version of us that he sees when he looks at us because he sees Jesus. He sees us free from our mistakes, free from our shame, free from all the quirky little things that make us quirky. We see this over and over again in the Bible. Gideon. He appears to Gideon and says, Arise, mighty warrior. And Gideon looks around. He looks to work, to trying to figure out who God is speaking to. Because that's not how he sees himself. He sees himself as the least in his family. His family is the least in his tribe. His tribe is the least in the nation of Israel. He sees himself as someone small and insignificant, and God says, that's not how I see you. When Peter confesses Christ, says, I think you're the Messiah, Jesus says, you're no longer called Simon, you're going to be called Peter. It's easy for the significance of that to be lost in English. Simon in Hebrew means broken reed. Broken reed. He said, you're not a broken reed anymore. And if you look at Simon Peter's temperament, 
that comes across, very brash. We've just been on this conference and we learnt about psychology and above the line and below the line responses. And Simon Peter is definitely a below the line response kind of guy. Very broken, he, a broken reed. And God says, you're not a broken reed anymore, you're a rock. And more than that, I'm going to build my church on you. Become, essentially what he's saying is become who you already are. Become the person that I see you as. Zacchaeus, tax collector, essentially ripping off his own people. So unpopular that when he tries to see Jesus, people keep standing in his way and he has to climb a tree. And then Jesus stops at the foot of the tree, looks up and says, come down, I need to hang out with you. Everybody in that crowd would have been wondering what was going on because they saw tax collector. They saw thief. They saw con man. Jesus saw different. Jesus saw the person that he could be in him. You know, when he looks at us, he sees us as his beloved children. We know that from Matthew 3, verse 17. When he looks at us, he says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And for some of us, that's difficult because we look at ourselves, maybe like me, you look at yourself in the mirror and you hope you're fearfully and wonderfully made because it certainly doesn't look like that. Or your body, like mine, is starting to give way and it certainly doesn't feel fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at us and says, I see Jesus and I see you as fearfully and wonderfully made. When he looks at us, he sees the apple of his eye, Psalm 17, verse 3. When he sees us, it says he rejoices over us with singing. I don't know about you, but I only sing when I'm happy. And fortunately, I'm happy quite a lot. When, when I first got together with Nikki, it slightly freaked her out how happy I was because she'd get in the car and I'd just start singing. The children hate it, but I still sing in the car. Well, I sing lots of places. I sing on my walks. Fortunately, there's no one around. When he looks at us, it says he delights in us. Psalm 18, verse 19. He brought me to a spacious place because he delights in me. The creator of the universe delights in you. He delights in you. He loves you so much. He loves us so much. He says he's written our name on the palm of his hand like a tattoo. My mum is sat just there, and I did check before I shared this. My mum is, well, she's a mature citizen, an older citizen, right? I can say that. 74. <laughs> and um, my mum has just got a tattoo. This is group therapy right here, right now. Thank you so much. She's just going to listen to me as I get it off my chest. So, so um, my brother has had a little girl called Lily, and so my mum got a tattoo of a lily on her shoulder blade. And she told me, and I was quite traumatized. I'm still quite traumatized, as I think is, is fairly clear. And um, occasionally I look at the photograph again, and I feel traumatized all over again. So maybe I should stop looking at it. But when I looked at it, I'm just to be honest, I felt almost sick. <laughs> Not because it was a bad tattoo, but just because it was my mum. And she has a tattoo and, you know. 
I'm still processing. <laughs> what happened was she won 100 quid in the premium bond, so went to Shepherd's Bush Market and got a tattoo. When Luke saw it, our eldest son, he said, Granny, promise me you'll never have anything to do with me ever tattooed anywhere <laughs> on your body. I said, Mom, that tattoo is forever. And she said, that's the point. God has tattooed your name on his hand. And it is forever. Your name is on his hand because he loves you, because he delights in you, because he rejoices over you as singing, because he says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's on his hand forever. Because he loves you. Because he loves us. The thing is, for many of us, we believe that about everybody else in this room. But we don't believe that about ourselves. Maybe someone has said something. It's amazing how little things, isn't it? It's, not, it's not, often not the big things that people say. It's little throwaway comments that people say that just stab. Maybe someone said something to you and just every now and again that what they say just lingers, just hurts. And so when someone tells you that you are deeply loved by God, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that he has called you with an everlasting love, with everlasting love, He's called you, that he delights in you, that he rejoices over you with singing, that you're fit, you know, all those things already said. All you think about is that thing that that other person said. That's all you can think about. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's because you did something. And God has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven you. You see, I know... Well, that's true, but if you only knew that I did this, and in the words of Bono, he said, if you saw my heart, you'd spit in my face. Do you know what? We all feel like that. I feel like that. I, I don't meet a single person who doesn't feel like that, who has in some way disqualified, disqualified themselves from the love of God because of something that they did that they can't let go of, that they just feel ashamed about. Or maybe it's not what anyone else said. Maybe it's not what you did. Maybe it's your circumstances. And you know, the thing about being in Christ, becoming a new creation, is it doesn't mean we're guaranteed a pain-free, trouble-free life. The difference is we know who's with us. We know who's in us. We know who is for us. But sometimes we forget that. We had a... period back um, when I was just finishing my first job as a, a vicar. And um, the, team, the, the team dynamics changed, and it just became impossible to do my job. Just the relationships were so toxic and so difficult. And I tried everything I could, I mean everything I could, to try and you know, resolve the situation. I just couldn't. It just became more and more painful and more and more difficult. And so eventually we decided that the best thing to do would be, is to, was to leave, would be to leave, to go to, to leave the job and try and find another one. And it was really devastating, just to be totally honest with you. I have never felt so low or that I failed so badly as I did 
And so what we did was we phoned a friend. It's important to find friends, to have friends who will do what our friends did. So we phoned our friends, Patrick and Philly, and we met them at a Starbucks on the side of the A25. And we just told them what had happened. And what Patrick did was he looked me in the eye and he told me who I was. He told me whose I was. He told me who was with me. And that gave me courage to be who I already was. We need people who will tell us who we are, who will tell us whose we are, who will tell us who is for us and will champion us. Sometimes it's so hard to see, isn't it, in ourselves? So if the first thing is that we need to see ourselves as new creation. The second thing is we need to be new creation. We need to take new creation. It's not enough just to keep it for ourselves. We can be new creation. In the second part of the passage, it says, We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, though God were making his appeal through us. We get to reflect the heart of God to every person we meet. And that is, I think that's just awesome. It blows me away whenever I think about it. So how do we do that? How do we do that? You know, we are surrounded by people who are like Simon, who are like Gideon, who are like Zacchaeus, who have had things said to them that have hurt them, that are deep wounds. We're surrounded by people who think they're not good enough. We're surrounded by people who think they can't do it. We're surrounded by people um, who are just struggling. You don't have to ask too many questions to begin to just go below the surface. And if you can be present with people in that moment, it's amazing if they know you love them, what they will tell you. And then what I do is I just begin to ask God, God, how do you see this person? What do you see about this person? What do you love about this person? Sometimes it's really easy with some people because they're really nice, easy, lovely people. It's really hard when they're not really nice, easy, lovely people. What do you see about them? What do you love about them? What potential do you see if they were in you? Because his love for them is unceasing and it's unending. He longs for them to become who he made them to be in him. He longs for them to become the version of them that they long to be in him. So before I was whatever I am, a pastor, I was a teacher. And I taught in inner city secondary schools. And um, there was this boy in one of the schools I taught in. And um, let's just say his name was Tom. Well, actually, his name was Tom. <laughs> I doubt he'll be listening to the podcast. So, so anyway, his name was Tom. It sounds like a book. His name was Tom. Or the sound, sort of, anyway, his name was Tom. And he was a rogue. He wasn't even a lovable rogue. He was just a rogue. And he was the kind of boy who, 
um, there would be a corner of the staff room that you could almost have called the Tom corner where people would sit and they would moan about Tom. They would complain about how difficult he was. They would say how disruptive he was. They'd say just, that was just what they'd talk about. He was like the locust of the staff. You know, sometimes you need a common enemy. He was the common enemy in the school. He would be sent out of lessons before he'd even walked through the door. He was in trouble before he had even done anything. And of course, if you treat someone like that, that's who they become. And I just began to think about that, and it started to trouble me more and more that basically um, he had been written off. And so I just began to like, pray and say, Lord, what, what, what can little old me do? What can I do to help? How do you see him? What's his, help me to see his potential, not just to see the broken, difficult, dysfunctional kid in front of me with a broken, dysfunctional family. And over a period of time, God just began to soften my heart towards him, I think, is, is the best way I can describe it. I just began to see him differently, just because I said, someone here needs to see him differently. And I know you, and you love him, so help me to love him. And so it was around, uh, they were running this uh, thing in the school. They had a school council, and they were running this, uh, this um, vote for school council president. And I just had this, this idea just dropped in my head. What if he ran for school president? And he wasn't even on the school council, so... That didn't go down well when I said, can someone run for president without being on the council? Yes, they can, I suppose. So I said to Tom, why don't you run? And he said, no one would vote for me and the teachers all hate me. So I said, well, I don't hate you. I think you'd be quite good. I think you've got loads of ideas and loads of enthusiasm and loads of energy. And I think you could be a really good school president, school council president. So over a couple of weeks... You know, I sat with him at lunchtime and talked about it and, you know, tried to make a bit of an effort when I saw him in school. I persuaded him to run for it. And I just want to be honest, it was not a popular decision. I became not popular in the staff room for a little while because everyone thought, one, one person said, if he becomes school president, it will devalue this whole thing. It will make it meaningless that somebody like him becomes school president. So I said, well, isn't that the point? Anyway, he, he ran for school council president and he won by quite a lot. And as I, occasionally I get messages from him on Facebook. And as I look at the trajectory of his life, I, want to I don't want to take all the credit. <laughs> but that was the beginning of a change in his life. All it took was one person to say, I refuse to see that person the same way as everybody else. You can do that. Who are the people in your sphere that need to be told who they are? To need to be reminded that they are known and loved and seen differently by God. Who are the people in your place of work? Who are the people in your school or your college, in your neighborhood, 
They don't all have to be as drastic as Tom. But there are Gideons, and there are Simons, and there are Zacchaeuses everywhere. All we need to do is know who we are, whose we are, what he says about us, and then pay it forward. Take new creation. Speak new creation. Release new creation wherever we are. So as I come into land, maybe you're here and you're a Simon or a Gideon. Maybe you're the person a bit like Tom. Maybe someone said something to you that has just gone deep. Well, if that's you, we'd love to pray for you. That you would begin that journey, beginning to see yourself the way that God sees you and the rest of us see you. The great thing is about being church is we do it as family. We don't point fingers. We just try our best to love everyone who walks through the door and hope that they leave feeling a little encouraged and a little bit closer to the one who knows them and loves them. So maybe you're a Simon or a Peter or a Gideon or a... We'd love to pray for you. Or maybe you're here and you think, do you know what, I, could, I think I could probably do that. I, could, I, I know someone, I know people who could who are like Tom, or they don't have to be like Tom, who are just, someone's on my heart, and I really believe that I could take new creation, I could release new creation wherever I am. Joel does that. Where are you, Joel? Yeah, he's up at the back. You do that at your place of work. You, I know you do. You just speak new creation. I was with Tim Bauer the other night. You do that. Just see you know, some of the guys you work with. Difficult, right? That's what you're doing. Right? You're just loving them. You're just encouraging. You give me a bit of a shove. We can all do it. Everyone of us can do it. We can all do it. We can all be that person. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite the worship band to come back. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, guys. And we're going to stand and um, they're going to play soporific music in the background. And we're just going to pray for people if you'd like it. If you're not, you can just sing along, uh, sing some more worship. But we want to we want to make an opportunity. We want to create a space where people who want prayer can get prayed for. So if you would like prayer, I want to invite you during the song, maybe to just make your way to the front. We've got people who would love to pray with you. No one's going to judge you. And uh, it would be a real pre- privilege, if you'd like us to, to pray for you, an honor for us to do that, to stand with you, to walk with you. So why don't we stand together? Thanks, Mike, for standing first. I saw. And I'm going to hand back to Pete now. Let's just take a moment. Um, I'm so struck by that line. So much in what Bill said, but telling people who they are and whose they are. And just before we pray for some people and close with a song, I wonder if each of us could just spend a moment thinking, who are we going to be meeting with today? Who are we going to be with tomorrow, this week? Who is there that maybe the Lord is just inviting us to tell them who they are and whose they are? 
if they're a Christian, you can use Bible verses and all that stuff, but maybe they're not. Maybe we just need to think, how might I tell them a little bit more about what God sees in them? And this is particularly for men. I say that because I, in my experience, women are often better at just affirming and encouraging one another. Not always, but men is this sort of bravado. You're meant to pull each other down. You're meant to take the mickey. But who might we speak to this week? Whichever gender, who they are and whose they are. Let's just take a moment. Allow the Lord to put a person on your heart right now. Make a decision right now. I'm going to tell them who they are and whose they are this week. And there's been this theme throughout the service, right from the second song about the love of God. That's what Bill's been speaking about. The love of God that never leaves us. The, the love of God that pursues us. The love of God that <laughs> metaphorically puts us in the first class. <laughs> Makes us a new creation. And uh, we live in a world that's brutalizing and cruel. And Bill's talked about the words that get spoken over us that break us. He's given lots of examples. And I'm quite sure that for many of us it stirs things. We find it hard to receive the love of God. We feel very far from that love. We feel maybe even hatred for ourselves. Maybe words that you just feel like, I need to get those broken off me because they haunt me. Felt like someone was speaking to me about that there's a phrase that your mother kept using over you as a child. And it, it, it's broken you and you want to be set free from it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all stepped out of here today a little more in Christ Jesus, a little more of a new creation, a little more knowing who we are and whose we are. So for some of us, we've, we've received what we needed to today, but others, you're aware you need some prayer. So what we're going to do is we're just going to um, We're just going to sing quietly together now, but I just want to make space for those who'd like to do so to come forward. Joe, have you got a word? Come on up. Yeah, really specifically, um, as I walked in this morning, I had this picture of an oil painting. And as Bill was talking, I felt this was more and more relevant for one person. Um, and I wonder if there's anyone here who's an artist. And um, in your paintings, you've been seeing quite a lot of imperfection, but that's actually been affecting the way that you've been seeing your relationship with God. And I feel like God just wants to say to you that um, you're his masterpiece and your imperfections in your job don't affect the way that he sees you because he sees you with perfection. Um, so if that's you, I'd love you to come forward. I'd love to pray for you.
Brilliant. Stay down the front here because I'm quite sure that's for someone here. So uh, make your way down. If you're new to all this, there is a God. He is real. He did make you. You're not an accident. And you didn't just get made. You're loved. <laughs> I don't know how else we can get that through the year. <laughs> you're loved so much that Jesus Christ came. And he died for you to set you free from all the stuff that messes your life up so that you could rise again with him and live a new life in relationship with the God who made you. And so we'd just love to pray for you, whether this is new to you or whether you've been Christian for years, but there are strongholds and things you feel you need to get free from that you might know who you are and whose you are. So some of you, let's just sing. Others, make your way down to the front and we'll pray with you uh, quietly now. So is it possible to sing quite quietly? We'll sing quite quietly. And then those who want to come down and receive some prayer, just a few minutes and then we'll end. So uh, make your way down fairly quickly if you'd like to receive prayer. Thanks. Thanks.